Our Old Testament lesson this morning comes from Isaiah 55. Verses 1 through 13. And we were just talking of hearing a call, and here is a call to all who are thirsty. Before we read, let us pray. Heavenly Father, we do thank you for your word that you have given to us. We pray that you would help us to hear your word this morning. We pray that as we, um, as we hear it read and proclaimed, we pray that it would not return to you empty, but would accomplish the purpose for which you have sent it, and that which you desire. We pray that it would um, be instrumental in changing us into the people that you have created us to be, who you have called us to be. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Isaiah 55, verses 1 through 13. Come, all you who are thirsty, come to the waters. And you who have no money, come, buy and eat. Come buy wine and milk without money and without cost. Why spend money on what is not bread and your labor on what does not satisfy? Listen, listen to me and eat what is good. And you will delight in the richest affair. Give ear and come to me. Listen, that you may live. I will make an everlasting covenant with you. My faithful love promised to David. See, I have made him a witness to the peoples, a ruler and commander of the peoples. Surely you will summon nations you know not, and nations you do not know will come running to you because of the Lord your God, the Holy One of Israel, for he has endowed you with splendor. Seek the Lord while he may be found. Call on him while he is near. Let the wicked forsake their ways and the unrighteous their thoughts. Let them turn to the Lord, and he will have mercy on them. And to our God, for he will freely, for he will freely pardon. Excuse me. For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. As the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. As the rain and the snow come down from heaven and do not return to it without watering the earth and making it bud and flourish, so that it yields seed for the sower and bread for the eater, So is my word that goes out from my mouth. It will not return to me empty, but will accomplish what I desire and achieve the purpose for which I sent it. You will go out in joy and be led forth in peace. The mountains and hills will burst into song before you, and all the trees of the field will clap their hands. Instead of the thorn bush will grow the juniper, and instead of briars, the myrtle will grow. This will be for the Lord's renown, for an everlasting sign that will endure forever. Turning then to Luke, chapter 24, verses 36 through 53, should be found on page 1645 in your pew Bibles. This is uh, the disciples after Jesus has been raised from the dead, and yet they're still not real sure about that. (laughs) or if it's true, what it would mean. And so, Luke chapter 24, starting in verse 36, says, While they were still talking about this, Jesus himself stood among them and said to them, Peace be with you. They were startled and frightened, thinking they saw a ghost. He said to them, Why are you troubled? 
And why do doubts rise in your minds? Look at my hands and my feet. It is I myself. Touch me and see. A ghost does not have flesh and bones as you see I have. When he had said this, he showed them his hands and feet. And while they still did not believe it because of joy and amazement, he asked them, Do you have anything here to eat? They gave him a piece of broiled fish, and he took it and ate it in their presence. He said to them, This is what I told you while I was still with you. Everything must be fulfilled that is written about me in the law of Moses, the prophets, and the Psalms. Then he opened their minds so they could understand the scriptures. He told them, This is what is written. The Messiah will suffer and rise from the dead on the third day, and repentance for the forgiveness of sins will be preached in his name to all nations beginning at Jerusalem. You are witnesses of these things. I am going to send you what my father has promised, but stay in the city until you've been clothed with power from on high. When he had led them out to the vicinity of Bethany, he lifted up his hands and blessed them. While he was blessing them, he left them and was taken up into heaven. Then they worshiped him and returned to Jerusalem with great joy. And they stayed continually at the temple, praising God. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. This is also the end of the book of Luke. If you were following along there in your Bibles, you saw that when we read that last word, the book of Luke just sort of ran out. That's how he ends uh, his gospel telling about the things that Jesus began to do and to teach. And then he moves right on into the book of Acts. And I know in our Bibles, we have the book of John that gets sandwiched between. But the way that Luke wrote it, you go from reading the gospel of Luke, and you can just jump right over and start in on the book of Acts, and it all uh, holds together and reads as one story. And this is important to note. Uh, It's one of the reasons why every time we've been talking about anything in the book of Acts, I sort of go over a lot of what's been going on in the book of Acts thus far, because context is important. You probably already know this, but I'm going to give you a few examples anyway. Anybody seen Star Wars? I don't mean like all the bajillions of Star Wars movies that have come out, but like the real one, the first one. 1977, episode four, A New Hope. I see people shaking their heads, shame on you. Anyway, um, <laughs> there, is, there is a part in this movie um, where one of the characters by the name of Han Solo, played by Harrison Ford, come on, um, he says, may the force be with you. And you say, okay, who, who cares? <laughs> Here's the thing. When Han Solo says this, he's talking to Luke and because of, if you know the story at all, if you don't know the story at all, you say, oh, may the force be with you. That sounds like one of those Star Wars things. People say that in Star Wars. That totally makes sense that he would say that. If you know the actual movie and what has been going on in the plot to that point, it's a whole different thing that he's saying this because he's the guy who's been just, he didn't care about the force at all. And this whole thing with Luke and the force, he's like, you just give it up, whatever. That's nothing. And so when he says that, it's sort of this change in sort of a respectful thing between the relationship, there's a whole lot more going on to it. And you go, oh, knowing the context of the movie, knowing the story to this point, knowing the character as we've gotten to know him, when he says this, that changes what that line means in that movie. All right, y'all don't care about that one. So (laughs) uh, what about this? Say you're going and uh, you're out with a friend for dinner, and they say, ah, I don't have my cart. Can you get this? Okay. You know. (laughs) 
you know that how you interpret that statement depends a lot on what you know about this person to date. (laughs) The relationship that you have had with them before, is this someone who happens to forget it every time you go out? Or is this someone who has always treated you every time you've gone out, and this is the one time that they're like, oh, no. And that changes things, doesn't it? So that when they say, oh, I don't have it with me, what you know about your relationship with them before this, what you know about this person before this, changes how you hear that, uh, that request. Can you cover me? Okay, context matters. <laughs> Here's why I'm saying this. We're going to look at a passage in, in Acts. And this passage in Acts is, uh, is one where we need to kind of know the context of what's going on in that story. And so we're going to start talk, looking at particular people and looking at particular places that you may be unfamiliar with. So let me begin there. We're looking at Paul and Barnabas, mostly. And they have uh, just come from, they're on a missionary journey where they have come out of Jerusalem, they've come from Antioch, now they've gone to uh, the island of Crete out in the Mediterranean Sea, and they are on this mission to go and tell people about Jesus. That's what they're doing. And then where we begin today is they're leaving Crete and they're going up north to the mainland of what is now modern-day Turkey. So you're going to hear some place names, you're like, I don't know where that is, now you know where that is. And this is who these people are and what they are doing. And as we get into what they are doing, context also becomes really important because the message that they are going to be telling about Jesus, they don't just say, they don't just start in talking with people and say, there's a guy who did some amazing stuff. Let me tell you about him. Instead, what you're going to hear is a lot of context. A lot of context for who God is and what he's been doing. So when Jesus shows up, it's like that friend who says, hey, can you spot me? And the way that you interpret that is based on what you know about them to this point. And so when Paul and Barnabas are going to be sharing about Jesus, they say, in order for you to understand who he is and what he's done, it's going to depend a lot on who you know God to be through everything that he has done and the ways he's revealed himself to this point. Because if you don't know any of that, you're going to look at Jesus and you're going to go, I don't understand most of what he does. (laughs) I mean, some of it seems pretty neat, but I don't get it. But if you really understand who God is and what he's been doing all along the way, and then you hear who Jesus is and what he's done, and oh my goodness, this changes everything. So we're going to read this. Uh, I'm going to read it kind of slowly and carefully. I talked to uh, Diana yesterday and asked her if she wanted to hear the passage that... um, that I was going to be preaching on today, and she said, uh, I mean, I don't want to hear the whole sermon. <laughs> Which is understandable. <laughs> uh, but then I had to respond by laughing because uh, the passage for today is actually a whole sermon. <laughs> it is uh, Paul preaching here in, um, in Pisidian Antioch. Anyway, I'm going to read it kind of slowly and carefully, and as I do, I want you to be filling in as many of the blanks as you can, because what Paul is doing as he talks to these people is he's saying, you all know, you know what all God has done in the past. And what I'm going to do is I'm going to just give you sort of an outline form of the whole Old Testament, or at least a lot of it, maybe the first 10 books of the Bible. I'm going to give you kind of an outline form. What's really cool is if you have been doing the Read Scripture plan, 
he covers exactly to where we are right now in that uh, Read Scripture plan. So if you've been reading along, then you should be able to, as you hear this, kind of fill in some of those gaps. If you have not been doing it, go ahead and pick up one of the schedules in the back as you leave the day and start in with us. Uh, because seriously, the more you understand about the context of who God is and what he has done, ways he revealed himself in the Old Testament, makes the New Testament make a lot more sense. And the way the, <laughs> the more you understand the New Testament, the more the Old Testament makes sense. And the more you understand all of it, the more everything you experience and everything you see on the news and all of it makes sense. Okay, so I'll pitch for that. So here we go. Uh, this is Acts chapter 13, starting in verse 13. It says, From Paphos, that's there on Crete, Paul and his companions sailed to Perga in Pamphylia, where John left them and returned to Jerusalem. From Perga, they went on to Pisidian Antioch. And on the Sabbath, they entered the synagogue and sat down. After the reading from the law and the prophets, the leaders of the synagogue sent word to them, saying, Brothers, if you have a word of exhortation for the people, please speak. Standing up, Paul motioned with his hand and said, Fellow Israelites and you Gentiles who worship God, listen to me. The God of the people of Israel chose our ancestors. He made the people prosper during their stay in Egypt. With mighty power, he led them out of that country. For about 40 years, he endured their conduct in the wilderness. And he overthrew seven nations in Canaan, giving their land to his people as their inheritance. All this took about 450 years. After this, God gave them judges until the time of Samuel, the prophet. Then the people asked for a king, and he gave them Saul, son of Kish, of the tribe of Benjamin, who ruled 40 years. After removing Saul, he made David their king, and God testified concerning him, I have found David, son of Jesse, a man after my own heart. He will do everything I want him to do. I'm going to pause right there. I hope you're able to sort of fill in some of the bigger story of each of those things that were mentioned. Because as I said before, this is pretty much the summary of Genesis through Second Samuel. And that's exactly where we have been uh, in our Read Scripture plan. All right, picking up from there. It says, From this man's descendants, that's David, God has brought to Israel the Savior, Jesus, as he promised. Before the coming of Jesus, John preached repentance and baptism to all the people of Israel. As John was completing his work, he said, Who do you suppose I am? I am not the one you are looking for. But there is one coming after me whose sandals I am not worthy to untie. Fellow children of Abraham, and you God-fearing Gentiles, it is to us that this message of salvation has been sent. The people of Jerusalem and the rulers did not recognize Jesus. Yet in condemning him, they fulfilled the words of the prophets that are read every Sabbath. Though they found no proper ground for a death sentence, they asked Pilate to have him executed. When they had carried out all that was written about him, they took him down from the cross and laid him in a tomb. But God raised him from the dead. And for many days he was seen by those who had traveled with him from Galilee to Jerusalem. They are now his witnesses to our people. We tell you the good news. What God promised our ancestors, he has fulfilled for us, their children, by raising up Jesus. As it is written in the second psalm, you are my son, today I have become your father. God raised him from the dead so that he will never be subject to decay. As God has said, I will give you the holy and sure blessings promised to David. So it is also stated elsewhere, 
you will not let your Holy One see decay. Now, when David had served God's purpose in his own generation, he fell asleep. He was buried with his ancestors, and his body decayed. But the one whom God raised from the dead did not see decay. Therefore, my friends, I want you to know that through Jesus, the forgiveness of sins is proclaimed to you. Through him, everyone who believes is set free from sin, is set free from every sin, a justification you were not able to obtain under the law of Moses. Take care that what the prophets have said does not happen to you. Look, you scoffers, wonder and perish, for I am going to do something in your days that you would never believe, even if someone told you. That's where we're going to stop. That's the end of his sermon, actually, and uh, we will get to hear next week. Sure, you could read ahead. We'll hear next week uh, what the response is going to be, but for now, we're just hearing that sermon that Paul preaches, and I'm not going to say a whole lot about it. I'm going to say some. The first thing I'm going to say is, did you hear how it began? I mean, did you hear what started it? Did you hear why he even spoke at all? He's there in the synagogue. They've gone there to talk about Jesus, right? That's what they're hoping to do. And so they go to the synagogue because this is where people know this whole story. And as they're in the synagogue, people are reading from the Old Testament. And they read from the law and the prophets. And then they turn to these guys who they've come from somewhere else. Let's see if they know something we don't know. What What do you have? Do you have a word of encouragement? Do you have a word of exhortation? If so, speak. Now, I don't know about you. For some of you, you've had this moment happen where all the eyes in the room turn to you and everybody's expecting that you're going to say something. And for some of you, that is a dream come true because you've been waiting for this moment. Oh, if only they would give me the microphone. I could tell them all. And then for others, that is like your worst nightmare. Oh, please, (laughs) may the earth open up and swallow me now. (laughs) I do not want to do that. I don't know where you are on that. I think for Paul, though, it was more the first response. (laughs) This is why he's here, is to talk about Jesus. And can you imagine, like, I've come, and I really, really, really want to tell these people, but who knows if I'm going to get an opportunity. And they all turn to him and say, anything you'd like to say? Well, yes, as a matter of fact, there is. And so that's how it begins. And so here's what I want to say to each of us. When it, sa- when it says, if you have a word of encouragement, if you have a word of exhortation, please speak. Listen, you have a word. That word is Jesus. That word comes to us through this book. We have it. And we are often called on to speak. And a lot of times when we get called on to speak, we forget we have this. But this is our message. Jesus is our message. In fact, um, as you kind of go through this whole thing, Paul could have, he could have just repeated what they had said about the Old Testament so far and been like, yeah, God did all those things. And isn't that great? And the Messiah is going to come someday. He didn't do that. He showed the whole way through how it all pointed to Jesus because Jesus is actually the center of everything. So he's giving the context for all of it. Now, here's what I want to say. (laughs) We know who Jesus is because of what we read in the Bible about who he is, what he did, but also all the context of what God had been doing to that point, right? That's how we we get the whole thing and all holds together. But 
also, the whole Bible is what gives us context for everything we experience. It's how we make sense of the lives we're living day to day. It's the way we make sense of, like I said earlier, the news we hear on TV. I'm not going to say much about this, but the government shutdown <laughs> that we're experiencing right now. This was, I asked permission to share this. Uh, <laughs> mentioned it to, uh, to my kids yesterday that we're experiencing a government shutdown. And Andrew's first response, it's my 11-year-old son, his first response was, wait, does that mean Jesus tripped? I said, excuse me? <laughs> and he says, well, doesn't the Bible say the government's going to be on his shoulders? <laughs> oh, my goodness. <laughs> well played, son, well played. Okay, so obviously he was joking, and it's a joke that I greatly appreciate. <laughs> uh, but I also loved that the way that he formed that joke was because his first thought when he hears about a government shutdown is what does the Bible say, <laughs> and how does this tie in with Jesus? And so maybe making jokes is not always the right response, though a lot of times it is. But, uh, <laughs> but I think he's absolutely right that our correct response when we see anything on the news is, well, what does the Bible say, and how does Jesus fit in with this? Because if Jesus doesn't fit in with this, then we've got a problem. He is the one that gives meaning to everything. He's the one that gives context for everything right? He is, uh, he is the center point of the story that we are all living through. And so as we see things, and as we hear things, and as we start being um, concerned about one thing or another, we've got to go back to, well, what does the Bible say? But then also, how does, that, how does Jesus fit in with that? Um, I'm going to take us back to one of the hymns we sang earlier, if I can find it. Yeah. Uh, 151, a mighty fortress is our God that we sang earlier. This hymn, I hope you were paying attention as we were singing those words earlier. This is one of the greatest um, hymns ever written. And written by Martin Luther, written at a time when everything was kind of being upended in uh, life church and his life personally. And there was a lot of question of, you know, what is going on here and what should we expect moving forward and how do we make sense of all of this? And if you read through this song, read through this hymn, basically what he does is he takes their present circumstances and puts them in the context of who God is and how he has revealed himself in Scripture and in Jesus and with the promises that he's made for his church and his people going forward. And he says, once you put our current situation in the context of all of that, we have nothing to worry about and we have nothing to fear. This is very much the same kind of thing that Jesus preached about in the Sermon on the Mount when he's talking about uh, not worrying about the clothes that you're going to wear, the food that you're going to eat, and running after all the things that the pagans run after. And the reason that he says don't worry about that is not because, you know, it's bad for your blood pressure, so just don't do it. <laughs> what he does is he puts it in context and says, look at how God's taking care of the birds. Look how he's taking care of the flowers. If God cares about you even more than he cares about that stuff, you put all your worries and your cares in that context, it changes it. Now you don't have to worry anymore <laughs> about those things. And so, uh, yeah, so that's my encouragement to you today is um, to put it all in context of who God is and how he's revealed himself in scripture and especially in Jesus. And then, finally, 
It says that uh, the way that Paul concludes this is by saying, therefore, so after all this, therefore, my friends, I want you to know that through Jesus, the forgiveness of sins is proclaimed to you. Through him, everyone who believes is set free from every sin, a justification you were not able to obtain under the law of Moses. In other words, you have the law of Moses. You've been reading the law of Moses. You've been trying to live out perfectly the law of Moses in order that you would be uh, justified before God. And you know as well as anybody, you, you haven't done it. You can't do it. But he says, what I'm here to tell you is God has done it for you in Jesus. That is what his life and death and resurrection is all about. It's providing forgiveness of sins for you, all by grace. And then, as I said before, uh, we're not going to hear today how the people responded to this sermon. We'll get to that next week. For this week, the question is not how did they respond. The question is how are we going to respond? How are we going to respond to hearing who Jesus is as uh, it's been revealed to us? And then also, he says, take care that what the prophets have said does not happen to you. Look, you scoffers, wonder and perish, for I'm going to do something in your days that you would never believe, even if someone told you. Jesus was really unexpected. The context of that passage, by the way, that he quotes is from Habakkuk, when uh, the fun little book <laughs> where uh, God is revealing to prophet Habakkuk, yeah, um, Israel is about to be judged for turning away from me. They're going to... Uh, they're going to be overtaken by another nation. And Habakkuk's like, yeah, that makes sense. We have definitely turned away, and we, we've got that coming. Um, but God is like, but I'm going to do this in a way you don't expect. The Babylonians are going to come in and do that. And Habakkuk's like, wait a second. They're worse than we are. What in the world? What you're doing doesn't make any sense. And he says, yeah, you, you're not, you wouldn't believe it if I told you. I'm telling you, and you don't believe it. And that's the way that... Things go. You read the rest of the book of back if you want to see how that all works out. Um, but it's also what we read in Isaiah 55 when he says, my, ways are, my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are my ways your ways. As high as the heavens are above the earth, so are my uh, ways higher than your ways, my thoughts and your thoughts. Same thing with Jesus. We'll hear, if we hear just about Jesus, completely stripped from context, we might have no idea how that fits in with our lives. I have no idea what it, how it fits in with what we see on the news. I have no idea how it fits in with all of human history. But if we keep it in context, if we see how God had been preparing the way for Jesus ahead of time, then it does, uh, does make sense of everything. And so then, instead of being something that we would never believe, even if someone told you, we realize it's something... We may not have expected, but it's exactly how it is. All right. His ways are not our ways. Jesus is the center of everything. He's the one that gives a context for everything. If you have been reading the Old Testament story, so when we read through that, you were familiar with all those parts, good. Keep on reading, and we'll find out more as we go. If you are completely unfamiliar with the story, let me encourage you to dive in. Uh, find some people that can help you with that. Uh, 
start in with the plan that we have right now where we have videos that will help you understand the books that you're reading as you go through and find people to talk about it with as you go. Get to know this story. This is our story. And I don't mean this is our story as Christians, which it is. This is our story as humans. Get to know it. (laughs) And then finally, understanding as Christians that the story that is the human story all centers around the person of Jesus. Let me encourage you to have him in mind always. Always. We stay close to him. So when we're watching the news, we have him in mind. How does this work out with Jesus? And uh, that we respond more like, uh, like Martin Luther trying to make sense of his situation than we would like, uh, well, like most news commentators. And then, last thing, if all that is in place, <laughs> then we will be ready. We'll be ready for those moments that we all have when people turn to us and say, well, what do you think? Well, tell me, do you have a word on this? And I just remember, uh, I had actually one uh, call on an ordination candidate, somebody being preparing for ordination in ECO, and almost every response that he gave was, you know, what do you, what do you think about this? What do you think about that? Always he would say, I think this, and give us what he thinks, and then he would always follow it up with, because the Bible says, and he'd give us that. When, um, when they said to Paul and Barnabas, if you have a word of exhortation, please speak. That's exactly what Paul is doing. Saying, I think Jesus is the Messiah, and I think that he has died for the forgiveness of your sins, and I think this because, and he goes through the whole Bible, explaining why. When people turn to you and say, you may not say, if you have a word, please speak, but they'll probably say, So what do you think? I hope we'll be able to say, I think this because the Bible says this. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.